Chapter 11, Levels of Access. No warehouse is the intention of cleanliness, which was something that Leah usually respected. It was like having an old dog that didn't like being washed. You picked your battles. But by the time she got home, she was so anxious that she scrubbed the floorboards to the extent that she feared for the ceiling below. So I am my mother's daughter after all, she thought, shaking out the felt matting and lighting the stove with the newspapers that she'd used to clean the windows. She went downstairs to the bathroom, although she didn't really need to, and arranged to help Charlie with the distribution of the two euros due. The kitchen smelt deliciously of potatoes and coconut. This reminded her that she needed to change her book, so she fetched it and went back down to the bookshop on the ground floor. The bookshop was called The Page Master and owned by Arthur, who cultivated a terrifying goatee. He was in the process of selling an early edition of Edgar Allan Poe to a customer whose overcoat had cost enough to keep a homeless family warm all winter. He was wearing vintage leather shoes with so many perforations that his feet resembled tea bags. Most of the people on the street outside were wearing plastic boots repaired with heat lamps and glue. Were the rich getting richer or the poor getting poorer? Either way, the gap was widening with the determination of a departing train. Food and accommodation were fast becoming luxuries, and the super-rich were engaged in a nostalgic romance with the obsolete. Books, for example. Arthur reeled the customer in like a nice fat salmon, and he left with the expensive volume under his arm. Nevermore, croaked Arthur happily, updating the credit machine. He had an uncanny instinct for finding clients whose requirements were as specific as those who had frequented the freckle bar in Japan. There was nothing that a fetishist loved as much as a restricted supply. Ready for a swap, my darling? Adventure, horror or fantasy? Leah put a well-thumbed Agatha Christie on the counter. I'm looking for a ghost story, but not scary. Nice. Friendly ghosts? That's a rarity. Do you mind if it's written for children? No, said Leah. I like simple books. Arthur burrowed in the children's section. There you go, my darling, the children of Green now. It's out of print, but I suppose they all are now. It wasn't a joke that he seemed to tire of. As the lift trundled upwards, Leah realised that her entire day's activity had been based on putting off the further examination of Ethan Blake's gift. She held the box at arm's length, reluctant to touch it. It's technology, she told herself. There's nothing to be afraid of. If Trevor had told her that it was unlikely to harm her, he was probably right. Then, running out of excuses, she put the glasses on. She looked around for the hedgehog and found it warming itself by the stove. Mind you don't burn yourself, she said, feeling ridiculous for being frightened. Then she knelt down beside it and spoke into its small, round ear. I want to level up. I'm giving you access to Horcrux, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and... She swallowed hard. All my Google accounts. Here are the passwords. The hedgehog twitched its whiskers and vanished. 
Leah sat with her chin on her knees, watching the flames flickering behind the glass. She sensed a movement behind her and turned to see a tall, familiar, red-headed person swivelling in the office chair. Leah jumped to her feet, heart pounding. Ronan! The figure shook its head. I'm not the real Ronan, at least not in any sense that you would understand it. I am a glyph created from your online activity. Leah took the glasses off. The chair was empty, but it felt as though the Ronan-shaped entity still inhabited the room. Her hands were shaking. She braced herself and put the glasses on again. The glyph was standing at the window, looking out over the keys. Its ability to move around the room when she wasn't wearing the glasses seemed to indicate some kind of independent existence. Leah glared at the glyph. Where is the real Ronan and why do you look like my brother? Those are two different questions. I will need to consider them separately. The glyph spoke in Ronan's voice. I am programmed to assist you as you instruct. In answer to your second question, my appearance is formed by your preoccupations. On a superficial level, you find hedgehogs appealing. So, given limited access, that is how I appeared. Yeah, said Leah. I understand that bit. Then you increased my levels of access. Possibly. You are injudiciously swift. I might suggest that we remain at this level until you become accustomed to me. Your preoccupation with your brother was such that, given the information that I had, I could no longer remain a hedgehog. My algorithms reshape me in his image. How do they know what he looks like? Photographic evidence, video clips, voice recordings... But I must emphasise that all of these are filtered through your preoccupations. I am Ronan as you imagine him to be. If I were created from the data generated by one of his friends, for example, or even Ronan himself, I might seem entirely different. But, unless you should choose to send me out on errands, I am visible only to you. Please can you go back to being a hedgehog? Or something different? The glyph took a step towards her. Leah stepped backwards and tripped over the rug. It held out its hands in an appeal for calm, a gesture that it must have learned from Ronan's lecturing videos. I am unable to change my form. I have logged your initial reaction to me and will relay the information to my developers. I am a prototype and have been programmed to assimilate feedback that will inform later stage developments. The glyph sat down at her desk with its chin in its hands and a dismayed expression on its face. I am designed to be an internet-enabled assistant, not a bogeyman. Are you grand? said Leah, hastily, not wanting to hurt its feelings, if it had them. It's just like being followed round by a ghost. Understood, said the glyph. This is an error that can be rectified in future models. Your determination to find your brother is evident from your online activity. Ethan Blake told me that the prototype, I mean you, would help us keep in touch. How does that work? 
given the correct permissions from both sides, I can communicate with Ethan Blake or any other person using a similar device. Oh, said Leah, how many are there out there? I am one of two. The device is in early stage development. Really? Just me and Ethan Blake? That is correct. So what does his glyph look like? Initially, it appeared as one of his dogs. When he allowed it greater access, it took the form of his daughter, Casey. But I thought he had sons. That is correct. Casey died of meningitis three years ago. She was ten years old. But that's awful, said Leah. Worse than you. Graciously, the glyph inclined its head. I'm glad to hear that I do not represent the worst case scenario. In answer to your first question, I do not know where your brother is, but I will do what I can to help you find him.